Welcome beautiful people to the Don't Panic podcast. This is a podcast that takes you on a journey through the eyes of the creatives here in Scotland. Join me, Lucy, as I sit down with friends, family, creatives and industry professionals to discuss the complexities of being a creative person living right here in Scotland. From childhood to adulthood, career to personal passions and current events to mental health, We'll be diving deep into the ups and downs of being a Scottish creative with plenty of laughs and inspiration along the way. So sit back, relax, learn and relate as we explore all aspects of Scottish life, one conversation at a time. Um, okay, hi. This, this is a very spontaneous episode and a special episode because, um, well, I'm interviewing my dad. Hello. Hello. So nothing is planned. We're just going to wing it and see what happens. But how are you? How's your day been? It's been interesting. I've been with you most of it, but um, yeah. helping you move your scabby flat. Um, it's not a scabby flat. Well, it's a nice scabby flat. Um, <laughs> don't say that to Ryan. <laughs> I don't want to move sorry, in anymore. Ryan, Ryan, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> no, it is nice, actually. It's a really nice little flat. Tastefully Thank put you. together. Um, yeah, I've been busy and I've been talking to the council this morning and so on about stuff. So, yeah, yeah. it's a good day. Busy, busy. Busy, busy. Uh, yeah, basically, this is a bit of a special episode because you have had all round very creative life and career and you've had lots of different careers and I am excited to dive into them a little bit. Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. And see if you've got any wisdom in your in your old age. <laughs> Plenty of old age to have wisdom with. Uh, okay, so we're going to take it back to the year 18... No, I'm joking. <laughs> Late 18. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm joking. We're going to take it back to your childhood, though. Mm-hmm. And you had quite an interesting childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you... Well, which we'll get into. <laughs> but as as a whole, what, what were you like as a child? Um... It depends who you're talking to. Um, from your perspective. From my point of view, I thought I was jolly interesting. And uh, <laughs> I learned to read when I was very young, although I still think I was probably a little bit dyslexic. But I learned to read when I was very young. What age? Um, I reckon I was about three and four. Oh, really? I began to read, yeah. But then, this what? is when I'm going to sound really... Go on. Did you have TVs? Oh, God. <laughs> Oddly enough, yes. I don't know what time frame we're in in technology from the from when you were born. Well, t- um, I reckon I was one of the only people to have a TV at one point in, in when we lived in um, Surrey, um, and had a little four-inch Bakelite, which you won't even know what it is. No. Uh, TV, black and white, four or five lines, absolutely brilliant. Finished. It starts at, I think it was about nine in the morning and finishes at about nine at night. So it was just like a, a continuous... Well, it was BBC. Street, right, okay. That's all it was. Right, right. Um, BBC. God. Yeah, of course. It's great. And we had things like <laughs> London to Brighton in four minutes, which was a sort of um, uh, speeded up film of a, from, from the view from the front of a train going to Brighton. Oh, we'd all sit there. Oh, that's brilliant. Well, and that was your entertainment? <laughs> yeah, you just watch this... <laughs> speeded up going from London to Brighton in four minutes. God, how things have they changed. Well, so in all exciting. fairness, like you get, you probably get a TikTok of that. Well, yeah. Of this, a little time lapse yeah. of somebody going on the train. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> just a different type of different type. different different mm-hmm. time like as a child mm-hmm. you learned how to read young mm-hmm. um what was reading i mean i know reading is a big thing for you you mm. read a lot but was that so was it from the very beginning you absolutely you loved to read i did and i loved to read weird stuff i mean when i was about i don't know it must have been about seven mm-hmm. i read uh fred hoyle's the Black Cloud, and Fred Hoyle was the Astronomer Royal, mm-hmm. and he'd written a science fiction book called The Black Cloud, and I read it, damn it. <laughs> and and you understood it? And I understood it. I can still remember it. What? Yeah. It was great. Oh, God. So you're the smart one in the family. No, I'm not. <laughs> I, I'm smart, relatively speaking, but <clears throat> what it is, is I have a very broad education. I used to read... I didn't used to read... Um, Fiction, hardly at all. I read encyclopedias. Okay. I loved encyclopedias. Yeah. I remember we had the the Royal Britannica. Yeah, still got it. I'm the bed holding up my radio. <laughs> <laughs> but with the gold pages. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember all those in the house. Mm-hmm. Um, so something that you uh, also did as a child was childhood acting. Yes. How did that start well i guess it was an ambition of my mother's she tried it and all my other brothers i've got three other brothers and all of them failed miserably <laughs> right. and so she thought this is my last chance and she made me learn a poem called you are old father brown i think i went to an audition and i got the job so at the age of lord what was i are you not five or something something like that four or five i started to get into films and mm-hmm advertisements back then but mostly films and yeah my first film was I played John Wesley who is you again you won't have a clue John. <laughs> well, google you can it educate us I'll educate John Wesley is a sort of famous Christian dude mm-hmm. he wrote some hymns and stuff but he's very famous and I was John Wesley as a puppy so you were reading and acting at the age of four <laughs> That's quite a high achiever. The thing is, it's been all downhill since then. <laughs> that was your peak. <laughs> I peaked, peaked at yeah. four years old. <laughs> <laughs> I did. Um, why was your mum so fast, like wanting you to get into acting? I have no idea. Did she just enjoy it herself or was it more I'm, like honestly, you no just idea. don't know? She, she was a writer and a poet, uh-huh. so I suspect it was just all part of that continuum. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, she was, she was always quite determined we'd do it. And I'm quite glad I did. I mean, I gave up at the age of nine. So my it's career, a long, long career. It's a long career. Um, but it was good fun. And I've got lots of splendid memories. Especially, mm-hmm. and, and in fact, I would say that um, the last film I did, which was called Man in the Sky with Jack Hawkins, where I was his son, mm-hmm. I reckon that probably informed my interest in aeroplanes and mm-hmm. that sort of thing, because it was all centered around an aeroplane that got into trouble. Um, and, uh, and boiler suits. Mm. Boiler suits are cool. Boiler suits are cool. Yeah. And I loved being on set because we had, in the studio, we had all sorts. In fact, one of the greatest experiences in my life is just being in a studio back mm-hmm. in those days. Because back be in those proper, days, it's proper, proper studio. studio. You built houses in there. Was it on film? Yeah, or it's all yeah. on film. Yeah. You had these whacking great arc lamps. In these days, it's LEDs, but then it's arc lamps. And arc lamps like 10,000 watts blasting at you. I mean, to, to light a set, mm-hmm. you needed a lot of these lights. So set was boiling. So you God. spent your entire time being 
patted down by the makeup lady. Um, but it was great. The smell of a studio, the, the sort of wonder of a studio, because in one of the films I was in, Laughing Anne, with Margaret Lockwood, they had a ship, an entire ship in water, oh. in the set, and a jungle. Wow. So when I arrived on set in the morning, you know, I was walking through a jungle <laughs> onto a boat. And it was That's just so cool. wicked. Did you know what you were doing? Like, obviously, I know you were acting, yeah, but yeah. you were fully conscious that fully it was con- film. You weren't, it no. wasn't real life in any no, sense I, of the I word. Was, I was probably more conscious then than I am now. But the only trouble is I was also just as daft then as I was. There was mm-hmm. a scene where I had to run up the gangplank and run under Ronald China's legs and then say hello, I mm-hmm. think, to my mother, I think, was on board or something. So I ran up. <clears throat> but as far as I'm concerned, the ship was leaving. So it was, bye. Yeah. They went, no, 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 no. Could you do it again? It's hello. <laughs> All right. So I did it again. Ran up, bye. <laughs> no, it's hello. So it took about <clears throat> eight takes uh, uh-huh. before I got it right. <laughs> well... You were so young. Was it learning lines? Yes. That. Yeah. And you had a lot of dialogue and. No, not a lot. I had some dialogue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you found that. I had hello for a start. Well, yeah. I mean, you well, you flopped it. So. (laughs) Totally flopped it. In fact, that's been the trouble of my life is I'm actually rubbish at remembering scripts. Oh God, I I couldn't even. I improvise. Yeah, you're kind of good at being off the cuff. Yeah, totally. That's all I can do, really. (laughs) And um, was there what's like the funnest? thing you remember about acting well the funnest thing was being around an airfield for three weeks that, that was great fun mm-hmm. um, um the people were lovely um and i worked with some i mean i didn't know it at the time but i've worked with some you know big names like um uh, nicholas Rogue, who did the man who fell to earth and things like that oh and, wow and, david uh, bowie film yeah oh nice and and all sorts of people you know and sort of name this and name that so that was nice um, you, d- you you never at any point felt like exploited or anything because I know like child actors it's like a really weird area I think it is a bit but we had <clears throat> it was actually quite well organised you had to have a chaperone if it wasn't if mm-hmm. your parents weren't there you mm-hmm. had to have a chaperone um, and it was pretty well regulated I was only allowed to work so long in a given day even yeah. back then yeah when I was doing a thing called Zoo Baby about me stealing this Kawati Mundi from a zoo. Yeah, um, seen that one. Seen it's the only one I've seen. Yeah. Because yeah. it was randomly available on Netflix in America That's for right. like a brief period of time. I like hamsters. Yeah. That... <laughs> the famous quote. The famous quote. <laughs> um, but what happened there was I used to really enjoy, it was all shot in Chessington Zoo and there was a, a peddler uh-huh. Uh in, in Chessington and I just couldn't wait to get the pedalo. So when as soon as I finished the scene I was straight down to the pedalo. <laughs> and there was always that where's Jared? Oh bloody hell, he's down at the pedalos. So yeah, <laughs> had to send a, a runner to get me. Um, but I, I loved that. That was fun. And and having the Kwati Mundi as a pal was great fun. For anyone that doesn't know what a Kwati Mundi is, can you explain what it is? It's a sort of raccoon. I haven't is it not more like an anteater? Well, in that it's got a very long nose, right? And okay. A long wobbly nose. It's a bit like an anteater. It looks a bit like a small anteater, but it's it's actually a raccoon. And they're like friendly and yeah, cuddly and yeah. The, yeah. the the problem with them, though, or at least the thing I learnt about them, mm-hmm. and I'll pass this on to anybody else who ever happens to work 
Koati Mundi, <laughs> is you have to hold them by the root of their tail, right? Oh. Which is very close to their butt. <laughs> and you, what you learn very quickly is uh-huh. that it heats up before it dumps on you. So what the bum does. Yeah, so you're, hold, you're holding the thing by the root of the tail. Uh oh, my hand's getting hot. Whoa. Thank you. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> and um, did you get paid for it? Very well. And I'm assuming you got that when you were a bit older or something, or did you? No, no, my, my mother spent it. All right. <laughs> so that was why she wanted <laughs> to get into acting. Well, so you didn't get a pound of it. I got a yacht, a little tiny yacht. Um, so you got like which, toys. Which I actually got off set. I persuaded the props department to give me the yacht. So that was a bit. No, my, my mother would buy me something or other. I mean, I, mean I, I do remember, if I remember correctly, that I got £350 for. Man in the Sky, and that's probably, I should think it's about a couple of grand there. So that's not bad for three weeks' work for a... Well, for a child. child. Yeah, well, if you got it. Yeah, if I got it. <laughs> they wouldn't have been bad. <laughs> that's quite Who fun. shall I sue? <laughs> yeah. So explain a little bit about where you grew up and your upbringing. Because your dad was... I'm going to explain this terribly. Go on. Well, he was involved in the wars. Involved so... in the war. Yeah, that's... A... <laughs> I know what he did. Yeah, like Hitler was involved right. in the war. Dad. Yeah. But, right. but, he, but you had to travel a lot. Mm-hmm. Or he had to travel mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. So you got... Well, you explain. I'll explain. Yeah. I was born in Egypt because my father was what's called DAQ, which is Deputy Adjutant Quartermaster in Egypt. So I was born there. And my godfather turned out to be General Sir Richard Gale. Um, Who's that? Um, he's a general. Okay. <laughs> he's quite a well-known general, actually. Um, so <laughs> we, I was there till about two, until I was about two, came over to the UK, and we went from my father's family's place in Brighton, I think, and then ended up in Staines, Middlesex, and then finally ended up in Kensington, the house that you saw. Yeah, in London. In yeah. London. Yeah, yeah. Which was big house. Nice house. Big, nice. I know we're gonna we're exposing you because yeah. you were you're from money. Uh, well, we eat were the rich. Yes. <laughs> Basically, the only reason I got educated uh-huh. at all, probably, was because my grandfather left in trust. The whole, I think it was six shares. He gave my mother six shares in a thing called Ocean Steam. Mm-hmm. And the interest was enough to get my brothers and myself all through school. Oh, wow. Um, so I, I went to public school, but I'm all right now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what school did you go to? I went to Malvern College. And it was an all-boys school, wasn't it? It was indeed. And um... But surrounded by girls' schools, so that was pretty good. Uh, so <laughs> we're not getting into that. What? <laughs> oh, I'm disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, yeah. What? Um, did Did you enjoy it there? Because you were boarding, right? Yeah. The whole time. Yeah, uh, I was boarding school at prep school in Northcliffe in Sussex, Bogner Regis, Bugger Bogner, as they say. Um, so I was, I was at prep school there, and then went to public school, and it was a boarder in both. And. Did you enjoy that? I did, actually. I you wouldn't, didn't I wouldn't ever... swap it. I wouldn't swap it. I wouldn't no. be a day bug. 
No way would I be a day bug. What's a day bug? That's, I personally only came for the day, didn't stay the night. Why was that? Because it was just not on. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's a day bug. I mean, for goodness. Oh, so this has been a bit. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> a bit poncy. Oh, no idea. I mean, I you can have imagine. No idea. My schools were bizarre in the. Yeah. What in just the. What you had to do. So, give an example. Well. You could get into real trouble if you buttoned up your jacket the wrong way because when you first arrive at school, mm-hmm. you have to have all three buttons of your blazer done up. And you you were checked? You were checked. Okay. And uh, in second year, you were able to undo one of the buttons. <laughs> and then in third year, you were able to undo another button. And what? then in fourth year, when you're a senior inferior, as yeah. you used to call them, you could have your jacket undone. Oh. And wear a coloured waistcoat. Oh. oh. <laughs> um, but you do any of those things out of order and you're in trouble. And that was like a school rule that mm-hmm. they implemented. Mm-hmm. Why? What's to the button thing? Oh. <laughs> Hello. Hello, Chase. He's awoken. He's awoken. He's arisen from the, from the depths of yeah. under the table. Yeah, and he's making his mark again. Oh, here we go. So, yeah, it was bizarre, and there, and there was all sorts of things. I mean, like at, at the prep school, we had lights out at um, 8 o'clock, I guess, and mm-hmm. you weren't allowed to talk after lights out and so forth. Did you sneak out? Oh, yeah. Oh, we, right, okay. We, we all learned sign language. Uh, nice. Yeah, yeah, so we could talk to each other after lights out because the prefect was allowed to read the book, so they could have a little light on. We'd uh-huh. all be sitting sort of... <laughs> Signing, Signing to each, to each other. other. <laughs> and then when the prefect went to sleep, we might... This is so after after lights out um, and and the, and the prefect was asleep, we we'd be really really dangerous. We'd get out <laughs> onto our rugs. We had little um, you know car rug things um, on the end of our beds. We'd take them off the beds and put them on the polished floor, and we'd kneel on them and we'd scoop around the floor. <laughs> Races, yeah, no, we'd just be oh, just for re- pulling ourselves along the floor. This was called ragging. Ragging. And we were really excited about ragging. It was what we looked forward to. It was our big thing. Oh, that's, yeah, that's so funny. What was the story uh, about meeting J.R.R. Tolkien? Oh, Tolkien. Yeah. Did I mispronounce? Yes. Well, Is it it's Tol- J.R.R. Tolkien. 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 Oh, it's Tolkien. Anyway, Tolkien. okay. Who wrote Lord of the Rings? Yes, you've got the mug. I've got the mug. <laughs> yes, I have. Um... <laughs> Yes, um, back in the day, I was always quite good at reading, and there was a reading competition at school, mm-hmm. which I entered, but I was also late. I, I got delayed, and I came in really embarrassingly, sort of after everybody else, mm-hmm. and I had to go straight up on stage and oh, read, read the piece I'd prepared and read a random piece, mm-hmm. okay? And when it finished, this old geezer with glasses got up and said, well, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Um, and awarded me the reading prize. So I thought, oh, brilliant, and went away. A year later, I was reading Lord of the Rings yet again, um, rather than work, uh, do my exams. Mm-hmm. And my mate in my study, he said, uh, yes, are you reading Lord of the Rings again? I said, yeah. He said, uh, it's great that Tolkien awarded you the reading prize. And I said, what? <laughs> yeah, J.R. Tolkien awarded you the reading prize. You're kidding me. And I got hold of the school book that 
gives a list of all the prizes, and there it was, Jared Loan, J.R.R. Tolkien. Did you ever keep it? Did you ever keep that? No. <laughs> oh, I that I wonder how much that would be worth if you <clears> had it. I don't know. It was a book, um, but he signed it, so. Wow. And I never looked at them. <laughs> Anywho, that was J.R. Tolkien, so that's plain to think. How many times have you read the book? Oh, three, four times. All of the books, all of them. All of them. Yeah. Well. God, the, I couldn't get past the first page. Yeah, I know, but you don't read much. No, I don't. And I, lo- I mean, I love it, but I, it was too many names. It was too many like yeah, sons of sons of sons of, yeah, and I'm like, I can't keep up with all the names. Yeah, no, that was it, I, really. I, I just phased that out. Yeah, um, skip past. Great books. I mean, just wonderful. Just lost myself. I think Lord of the Rings has been mentioned so far in like every <laughs> single episode. You can tell it's an intrinsical part of my life. It, well, it, or it, our lives. Yeah, our lives, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so at what point in your childhood did you, was there, was there any point where you were like, oh, I feel like I'm quite a creative person? Obviously you were acting and you were doing these things, but that was, well, given to you or whatever. When did you realise that you were had a creative mind well I can very much remember when I was about three I remember just having a piece of paper and getting a borrow pen and borrow pencil and mm-hmm. just going round and round and round and round in circles mm-hmm. that's all I did I loved it but that's brilliant yeah <laughs> I'm really good at this so um, that's like Kitty with her dent yes exactly she realised her dent yeah so, oh, wow. <laughs> so I just did that for a while and then I began to find that I could actually draw stuff and when I went to school, I discovered I could just draw stuff quite well, and I got commissioned by my, by my. Well, I say commissioned. I mean, nobody paid me anything, but um, <laughs> people come up and say, "Draw me a Spitfire." All right, so I drew them a Spitfire, and oh, draw me a battle scene with Spitfires in it. So I drew them a battle scene with Spitfires in it, <clears throat> and uh, so I, I did quite a lot of drawing for people, mm-hmm. and, and I, I liked sort of cartoony type stuff. Yeah, yeah, I remember your. <laughs> little cartoons that you would do when we were kids mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and so yeah that was the beginning you originally went to uni after school but for something that you didn't do right <laughs> you can once again explain it better than me well um <clears throat> what it is is that for one reason or another um like i say i read the black cloud um I was always interested in science, mm-hmm. and I read encyclopedias, and mm-hmm. the things that excited me in the encyclopedias were science things. Mm-hmm. And um, so my mother always wanted to be an astronomer, so I thought, oh, an astronomer, that'd be pretty good, because that's stars and planets and stuff. Yeah. So stars, planets, dinosaurs, all that sort of stuff, great. Mm-hmm. So I got very much into astronomy, and so I thought, all right, to, to, to become an astronomer, I had to have maths, at least. And, yeah. and physics and that sort of thing. So I went to um, uni and did pure science, which was really the stupidest thing I could possibly do. So what does pure science entail? Pure maths, which I was absolutely hopeless at. That sounds awful. It was awful. <laughs> yeah. it was absolutely dreadful. I'd crumble instantly. Oh. <laughs> if you picture this, when I first went into my first lecture uh-huh. for pure maths... At the time when they were actually changing over to the new maths for, for pure maths. And new maths, you, know, you probably don't know much else but new maths. But right. the old way of doing things had long gone. Well, not long gone, they'd just gone. Mm-hmm. And they were changing over to this new way of doing mathematics, which I hated. I was used to doing it the old way. 
Right. And they said, don't worry, all the exams are going to be both, going to ask the question in both formats. because uh-huh. we're And it wasn't. So I had to do this whole thing in, in, in new maths. But picture, my first day, I went into this shed, effectively, for all intents and purposes. It was a building, but it was a shed uh-huh. with something like 100 students in it. Uh-huh. And an Abaddonian lecturer about five miles away um, and a really crappy PA. So I came in and, first of all, Scottish accent, because um, I was at Dundee, so mm-hmm. Scottish accent was a bit... Um, it was a bit daunting. It was a bit daunting, so I couldn't understand a word he said. I couldn't really see him. I couldn't make anything out. But I thought, this is going to be difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and sure enough, it was. Yeah, because you won't have notes to like that will get sent to you afterwards or anything like that. You did get a printout on, on Xerox. You wouldn't even know what Xerox is. I don't Oh, all right, okay. Well, we had zero printouts, <laughs> uh-huh. which was basically just a printout of what he was saying. So you needn't really have said it. We could have just read it. Yeah. But I was so disengaged after about 10 yeah. minutes. Um, why did you choose to go to Dundee? I didn't choose. I failed all my A-levels so spectacularly. <laughs> Dundee was just becoming a university uh, from St. Andrews. It was, it was a oh, campus okay. of St. Andrews. Uh-huh. Um, but they split away to be their own university. So they needed people. And as long as you kind of got the date right on your exam paper and you spelt your name correctly, you pretty much got in. Because I got in on five E's. How did you... What? (laughs) How did you get five E's? E's? Well, I took maths and and pure maths twice. Wait, is this... This is A-levels. This is in school? It's a school. High school. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, whatever you call it. Whatever. Um... Yes, yeah, so I, I, I also went to a crammer afterwards to, to get better grades, but I didn't get better grades, but I got more. So I got physics. Physics I did actually okay. And, um, maths, maths, and chemistry, I think, or something crazy, and something else I can't remember. And you got E's in it all, and you all. thought, this is what I'm going to do at university. This is what I'm do. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay, the writing was maybe on the wall there. I, I, I'm so confused at how you did badly, because you're clever. Uh, up to a point I, I'm also incredibly easy to distract uh-huh. and I had a band and right um, the, yeah, usual. the usual the usual the and I mean I love being at university and I actually managed to stay on for two extra years and they all thought I was still there wait so wait just to clarify because <laughs> I know what you're about to say but you went to uni yeah. for how long well two years effectively right and then you Dropped out or got kicked out? Um, I got kicked out. <laughs> and why did you get kicked out for not doing the work? Because I failed everything. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then you right. Okay, then you didn't actually leave. No. No. What did you do? Well, <clears throat> um, I stayed on, and some I still have no idea how or why, but I'd already started doing. Um, posters for the gigs in our new dine so as it's called and they were um because the art college was next door mm-hmm. i could go to the art college take my drawings and put them through their strange weird um i think they were probably for um um you know doing buildings and stuff um and uh and i just run off posters okay? mm-hmm. so i was kind of already working for the the the, the uh, students union 
And they said, uh, you know, we really like more of these things. We'll give you a room. So they gave me a room in this building. Mm-hmm. And I got printing stuff and I got screen printing stuff. And, you know, <laughs> just set up a print shop, basically. Um, in, inside the uni? Yeah, and I got a phone. Um, and How did you manage to wangle that? I have no idea. It's just it's what happens to me um, a lot, this kind of thing. So for two years, I was doing their posters and stuff. And then one day, I remember at, a, at an SRU meeting, student meeting, um, someone put their hand up and said, is he still at the college? And I went, um, no. It says, so why has he got a room and a telephone? And uh, my pal, who was the secretary, uh, he went, mm, yeah, mm, okay, right. And he realised he had to... Get you out. Get me out. So, yeah, you mentioned that uh, you were also in a band at the same time. Mm-hmm. So was this your first band? Because you've had, you've had, I had many. I had school. Right, school uh-huh. Called Generation X. Nice. Yes. Um, <laughs> that was fun. Um, also, I got kind of given a guitar and an amp. And the amp was brilliant. I mean, that amp these days, if I were to try and buy it, it would be about two and a half, three grand. Yeah. Maybe four. Nice. It's a great amp. And um, you play guitar. I play guitar. And harmonica. Not until... That yeah, was not until uni. a bit later. Yeah, not until uni. When, when harmonicas were 10 shillings. <laughs> 10 shillings. That's 50p. Nice. They're now 33 pounds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Sounds about right. I still got my old harmonicas. Um, <laughs> so... Yeah, so I, I got a band. Uh, I had sort of two bands out of the university. I had originally uh, Lucky Dog, uh-huh. which was the f- oh, that was just the funnest time. It was bonkers. We went all over Scotland. Mm-hmm. Um, had such a laugh. Um, Dundonian humour. <coughs> Say what you like about uh, Glasgow humour. Dundee humour beats it every time. In you think? Book. I think. I've not spent enough time there. There's well, no offence to Dundee. No. Well, I can assure you it was brilliant. It was so funny that I used to have to drive the truck because nobody else could drive. And um, I'd frequently have to just stop it, get out, take a breath, just stop making me laugh. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we had a great time going all over Scotland and getting up to all sorts of nonsense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, yeah, happy, happy, happy times. And do you think that was what was distracting you then? Oh, at, yeah. At university. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds more fun than, than, uh, oh. what was it? Maths. What was it called? Pure, pure maths. Pure maths. Like, oh. that just sounds like yeah. it puts a shiver up my spine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's satisfied me um, um, being able to just make stuff up as I went along. I didn't have to learn anything. I just made yeah. it. Yeah. Did you, did you teach yourself guitar then? Yeah. I taught themselves guitar at school, in fact. Right. My brother came to visit, and he started to strum off some chords, and I thought, bloody hell, if he can do it, I can do it. So I learned all the basic chords in one night. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Very good. Mm-hmm. Well done. Mm-hmm. And then you just kept going with those chords. I just kept going with the same chords. I never any... I'm afraid this is a feature. It's not a bug. Um, but every time I do something, uh, I, I kind of do a burst, and then static. So I mean, I think that's where I get it from because I, I am the same. I know you are, and I think it is the same. 
Yeah. And really what we should do, both of us, I think, is just be, be a little guru. Mm-hmm. We should be sort of like, uh, you won't know who the Mekon is, I don't suppose. No. <laughs> in, in Dan Bear comics, look it up, Google, um, you'll find the Mekon, who is this treen, which is a, an alien, uh-huh. with a big, big head. Uh-huh. And he used to sit on top of this little floating board. And he just thought things. He was like Davros in Doctor Who. Okay. And uh, that's what we should do. We should just sit there contemplating, inventing, and letting other people execute. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Where were we? We were in a band. Yeah, in a a band at college. Yeah, having the whale of a time. Yeah. Um, What was your, yeah, what's like a funny story from band time? Oh, God, there's so many. Most of them quite rude. (laughs) Um, oh God! Maybe I don't want to ask. Right. Okay. Um, to give you uh, an idea of what life was like on the road, mm-hmm. um, it was all pretty fruity. Now I have to say, <laughs> what does that mean? Um, Gay. No. That's what fruity means to <laughs> me. Yeah. Uh, right. um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a age gap here. Okay. Um, fundamentally. Um, to qu- you can cut this out if you like, but to quote the sax player, uh huh, um, I'm scared. Who, to you, hear. you should be. He okay. wears leather trousers. Uh huh. Um, but to quote to quote uh, my, my sax player when he was trying to encourage me to to join the band. Uh huh. He said, "Look, we we go all around the country. It's brilliant." I said, "Yeah, yeah okay." I didn't like trembling, and he said, uh, "He said, no, you'll love it. You'll love it. And you, you've never lived till you're twelfth in line." And I thought. What's that? Oh, God, what does that mean? Well, have a guess. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't like... <laughs> you can cut that out. You can cut uh, that out. I don't like that. It is you. It is. But that was the days. I mean, that was in the days. In, in Dundee. <laughs> oh, with, God. with that group. Oh, God. So they were pretty rampageous. Uh-huh. And all right. sorts of shenanigans went on. Well, yeah. It was back in the day. Yeah. This is, this is back in the 60s. Yeah. And coming on to the 70s, early 70s. No, a different time. different time, very different time. So, anywho, he was, he was actually a really interesting guy. He was incredibly clever. Yeah. Um, Dundee education, weirdly enough, was very good. Um, uh-huh. Both the kids I knew who came from um, was it Dundee High or something um, were really, really well educated and bright. Yeah, he was mm. very, very clever guy. He's dead now. Oh, yeah. R.I.P. R.I.P. The the uh, Dundee art schools really quite good as well it's very good yeah it's very good and that's of course is where i met my first wife oh did she go there mm-hmm. oh what did she did she do painting and art? oh god <laughs> bloody hell all swings and roundabouts oh, yeah. stuff. <laughs> textiles really yeah. yeah that's funny and she did it at dundee yeah god i got into dundee yeah. i didn't yeah. obviously i didn't go but and kitty tried to yeah yeah mm. yeah oh that's so funny mm. so while you were at uni mm. You met Jeanette, Jeanette. Mm-hmm. and so amongst all this, you, you were with her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, to, yes. Towards the end, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh huh. And then what happened after you got chucked out of your little screen printing business? And well, we moved to her mum and dad's house in Edinburgh. And that's how you came to Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Okay. And then you've been here since. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, hmm. yeah. Well, where we went to have a family. Oh, God. Know. We'll <laughs> don't need to talk about that. <laughs> Triggered. Um, it is lovely. I like that. Well, thing. good Very for much. you. It was fun for you guys. It's lovely. I miss it. <laughs> um, oh, God. Uh, we had very different perspectives on that. Well, we do. But um, so you came to Edinburgh. Mm-hmm. And was that when you had Vary and Chris, mm-hmm. who are my older brother and sister? Mm hmm. Um, who live in America. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yes, yeah. tell me about that. Um, okay. Um, that was the beginning of my weird careers, I guess. Okay. Um, very weird, because I was still trying to make it in the band, and mm-hmm. I had a new band by now, a band called Ignats. Yeah. Um, who I've really, met. Who you've met. Uh-huh. Um, thanks to you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I shall never forgive you for that. It was the most brilliant thing anybody's ever done for me, ever. <laughs> for um, for context, it was Dad's 70th, and we threw him a surprise party and invited Ignatz, the band, up, and they all, they all sang together again after... How long had it been? Oh, well, it was uh, 1976. Right. Well, it was 1980, I think, we actually broke up, but the but the music was from 1976. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, it's a long, long time. time <laughs> yeah. Um, Amazing. And, um, and I must just say that that moment when you said, let's go and get a pint from the bar, and you, I'd already been completely scunned by the fact that all these people I hadn't seen for years and years and years. So, so out of context. Like, you yeah. didn't recognise half of them. I bet. So I was in a complete daze, and you took me into the bar, and immediately... They kicked started off with a song of what I wrote <laughs> in 1975, I think I wrote it. Oh, um, that was a really it was, it was, special yeah. night. Jesus Christ. I still, still haven't recovered it. <laughs> well, good, because I don't think I've got you a birthday present <laughs> since then. Okay, I've skin ever since. Right. Um, <laughs> so what was the beginning of your strange careers? Kit- Kitty's similar. Mm-hmm. Kitty's had a bunch of strange yeah, careers. Yeah, yeah. So what were your list? Oh, well, uh, this is going to be very difficult to get into any kind of order, so I'll just hit it randomly. Mm-hmm. Fundamentally, my problem is that I am incredibly broadly educated, for mm-hmm. a start. I'm also broadly interested in many things. Also, I'm often completely led down the wrong road. Like, you know, <laughs> trying to be a musician's a bit silly because it's a crazy industry. But that's what I was trying to do. I then got involved after working... In the tax office, mm-hmm. I became a tax officer mm-hmm. uh, for a few years uh, while I was trying to keep the band going. And do you know what? I think I was the only person ever to get sort of dispatched from the tax office. It was very difficult to get bumped. Did you just get yourself chucked out of everything? Everything. I have. <laughs> I've. I can't remember anything I haven't been chucked out of or hasn't collapsed around me <laughs> god i got fired once and mm-hmm. i've never, never recovered <laughs> it's, it's been a year and a half and i'm yeah. still like oh god um, mm. that's funny so but you're not bothered no not at all it was quite funny because what was happening was the inland revenue had just started a thing called flexible hours flexi hours mm-hmm. and so as long as we were in between 10 and 12 and 2 and 4 yeah. We could come and go as yeah. we please, but we had to make up the hours so that we ended up with how many? 30 hours or something rather than the week. And of course, being in a band, mm-hmm. um, I would sort of get home from a gig 
late at night, three o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. get up as late as I could, get to work at just about 10, maybe a bit late, leave at 12 to unpack the van, come back at two, having unpacked the van, and then <clears throat> work till four, and then possibly have to pack up the van again. God. Um, and uh, and, and so, so it went on like that. So I basically ran up this huge deficit. So when they finally decided that I was not a very good tax officer, <laughs> um, they said, well, you've got a choice. You either leave or we'll throw you out, which is best. And he said, I said, I think I'll leave because then if I'm correct, I get social security. Anyway, whatever it was. <laughs> um, but I ended up with, I think it was a month and a half deficit. Wow. Okay. That's so, a, that is a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. That's a lot. So yeah. that was fun. <laughs> So what came after the tax office? Okay. Yeah. Right. And th- then the weird thing, I got involved with uh, one book, just right back a bit, my keyboard player. Mm-hmm. He was part of Theatre Workshop, mm-hmm. which was a, a brilliant little organisation down in Stockbridge. And he, yeah, I was going to ask you about Theatre Workshop, yeah. actually, but yeah. That, yeah. that was genuinely a seminal seminal moment in my life yeah he suggested uh, I went down there and see if I could get a job and uh, so I went down there and there wasn't a job going but I suggested I do the print room <laughs> You're like I'll sneak into this other print room thank you <laughs> um, and again I have no idea how this happened but I kind of seeped into the place ended up working it's in... just your life I know it is honestly it's really APSS as I, well I never seeped in I did have everything I've seeped into <laughs> okay. um, but it's always because I've got a strange skill set yeah I can adapt to almost any situation you can almost plump me in any situation and I can I'm survive quite the same because mm-hmm. we've discussed this before but what's it called so what's that saying we're adaptable. They're like master of none. Oh, yes. yes. What is it? Adaptable trades. trades master, master of none. none. Yeah. yeah, we both relate to yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Anna always says we're part of the great incompetence. <laughs> <laughs> That's quite good. It is quite good. Um, so anyway, I seeped into Theatre Workshop and then sort of started because I, I was, you know, been in films. So I gravitated to the theatre side. And the way the Theatre Workshop was run then, it was absolutely brilliant. The guy who ran it, who eventually went on to run City of Culture in Glasgow, he got, mm-hmm. got that job and left Theatre Workshop. But while he was at the Theatre Workshop, he always wanted everybody to learn everything and to do everything. Mm-hmm. So I ended up by doing murals, street theatre, mm. um, theatre theatre, printing, uh, poetry, Whatever. Everything. Yeah. Did absolutely everything, which was wonderful. And, and working with people like Jerry Mulgrew, who went on to, to run Theatre Comunicado, um, it was just a brilliant experience. And I learned a huge amount about theatre because at, at the time of working in this theatre place, I, they, they asked me if I wanted to write a bit of script. So I wrote a bit of script. And it was absolutely hilarious because I was still in, in the sort of... Um, um, French windows and tennis rackets and I say, does anybody fancy a game of lawn bowls? You know, it was, it was that sort of school of theatre, um, and I didn't know anything about modern theatre at all. Right. Okay. Um, and so Jerry Mulgrew was very patient, and um, we started to, to write stuff. And I wrote quite a lot of sketches in a, a thing we did called. I can't remember what it's called there. Was it Zits? I think it was called Zits, mm-hmm. and it went down well. So I then got. To, to write some more scripts and so on 
and then I eventually wrote The Christmas Show. But that was after I wrote a thing called 625 of Video Fantasy, hmm. which was great fun. Absolutely great fun. And we had to put a band together. So I put a band together from my band, well, Gordon, the keyboard player, and some members of, an, of, a, of another local band um, called uh, Café Jacques. And what a band. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ignatz was a really good band, no question about it at all. But, yeah. But um, Melody and the Metronomes, as we were called for the play, mm-hmm. were brilliant. And what I loved about them was, um, if you had an idea, we'd try it. Yeah. Ignatz, it was sort of, I couldn't really explain it because I'm not a musician. You know, I don't know anything about music. So I can't explain things. Um, you can just do. I can do. Yeah. Um, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I seem to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I feel it. It's true. I mean, as I said with the harmonica, I, once I'd learned that you suck the damn thing, not blow it, you know, at first. To, you just, get, I just... That's it. I've never practiced the harmonica ever. And I can... <laughs> They can play it quite well. You know, I wonder what would happen if you did actually practice things. Same with cartooning. If I continued, you'd actually apply yourself. If I'm good at I something, I just leave it. Assume yeah, you've done it. Done it. Been there. Yeah. Got the t-shirt. Yeah, it's pathetic. Anyway. Yeah. So, <laughs> so anywho, um, I so I, I wrote this thing six to five a uh, video fantasy, and the band was so good. So I I persuaded somebody I still can't believe I did this but I persuaded somebody to lend me 6,000 quid on the off chance that we'd actually sell the project to a, a record company or whatever in London because we had great songs and it was a great stupid story it was a good story and so I went down to London basically and wandered around London walking up to sort of big companies and saying oi I've got this idea and didn't get anywhere <laughs> and uh, I still owe this lady 6,000 quid which is probably equivalent to about 18,000 quid there, but I can't pay her back. What well, still? Does she, is she on you for it? A little bit, but she's not. I mean, she's been really, really good about it. Cause we, well, was, I mean, how many years has it been? 30. Um, yeah, she thinks she's been quite good about she's it. She's been really good about it because, I mean, she, she, it was on the understanding that it was winner takes all. You know, she'd get it okay. all back if we got... If you were successful. successful. So right. it was a risk. Yeah, risk. that is a I, risk. I do feel bad about it. So I will f- want, honestly, if the day ever comes that I ever have I'm, money, I, believe I you. will pay it, but I will. I believe you. I absolutely will. <laughs> that, well, you've got it on record yeah, now, record, so you have to. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> wow. Um, so, yeah, so, but it was, it was great fun, and it was a real learning experience going down to London and trying to pitch a project. Yeah. Pitching is very much an art. Oh, hate it. I hate it. Hate it. I love it. Never been good at it. No. Um, sell, well, actually, in all fairness, being able to sell other people or other yes. things that aren't personal exactly. is way easier, but selling yourself and selling your own project and vision is very difficult. It's extremely hard. Yeah. And I learned a lot of lessons, which I didn't apply. Uh, <laughs> so that's when, good. when your mother and I started up uh, a video production. Oh company. yeah, of course, yeah. Because because it's really weird. Because having done a video fantasy, somebody had seen it, who was a lecturer at Julianess, uh-huh. and said, "You know about video, don't you?" I knew nothing about video, and I went, um, "Why do you think I know anything about it? Because you did the sixty-five of video fantasy." I went. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I know about video. <laughs> so I said, okay, could you, could you teach video? Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
God. So I couldn't have the I didn't, didn't have the nerve to do that. The nerve. Well, I did. So I rocked along with a view to being in there six months or something, and twenty five mm-hmm. years later. Oh wow. Um, but that that's, again, it's just that weird thing of saying yes. And uh, I, I mean, if we're going to talk about being. Um, a freelancer, which I suppose I was, mm-hmm. as much as I certainly wasn't lanced to anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, wherever the wind took me, I went. Yeah. Um, I tried to make it as a, as a writer. I mean, I've won awards for my films and I've won awards for my stuff that I did with InnoVision and stuff. So, I mean, clearly I had some skills. Yeah. But I just couldn't ramp up on the back of it I couldn't I didn't have the brass neck to sell myself especially with scripts for some bizarre reason but the point is that because I always said yes I would end up in the next spot and then you end up kind of like you said racking up all these kind of achievements and things that you've done but like without really knowing how it happened I won a fringe first for god's sake oh really yeah for what um for a musical what I wrote What was the musical? Morris the Minotaur. Oh, for God's sake. (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay, Uh uh-huh. What was that about? Because I got, I fell into working with uh, Edinburgh Youth Theatre. Yeah. I can't even remember how I got there, but I got there and began to work with the kids uh, doing theatre stuff, which I loved. I really did. I really enjoy working in theatre. And I kind of thought I was going to make a career in theatre. So anyway, I ended up, I did a, a small piece which we performed and then I did a bigger piece that we performed and then I wrote Morris the Minotaur and we were bloody fringe first. Brilliant. So, great. So the next year I wrote a thing called Clutter, mm-hmm. which actually I'm really proud of. I uh-huh. loved Clutter. It was such fun to do. But the trouble was the director of theatre work, of um, uh, Edinburgh Youth Theatre and myself came from Cum different disciplines mm. I was from the sort of um, Peter Brook rough theatre school i.e. you went with whatever was mm-hmm. and you you just you collated everybody else's talents yeah. if you had an idea and it just wasn't working because of those talents you just adjusted it until it did and it was brilliant yeah. and these kids are really talented I mean a lot of them have gone on good careers um, did, did you not was there not something to do with, um, oh God, I forget his name, Spud from Dreamspotting? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What was that again? Um, that was a, a, a thing we did as a thing, what I, gave, I think what I wrote, I think, if I remember rightly. Uh, yeah, I gave him his first acting job. Wow. Mm. What's his name again? That's terrible. Um, Ewan McGregor. No, not Ewan McGregor. <laughs> yeah. Ewan Bremner. Ewan Bremner. We got there. Ewan yeah. Bremner. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you yeah. gave him his first acting job. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah, and he was very good. And I, and I picked him because he was weird. Yeah. And, and I'm actually quite reasonably good at spotting talent because I go for the weird ones. Mm-hmm. So the director of Edinburgh Youth Theatre and I did not see eye to eye. And I remember very well one of the scenes involved, it's hard to explain, but it, mm. the whole thing was set in World War Two. That is a, a musical family you know, entertaining family, but the two sons were going off to war. One was off to be a pilot, the other one was off to be a soldier. The pilot couldn't wait and wanted to be a night fighter pilot. Mm-hmm. And the other and the, the other brother just hated the whole idea and was terrified. <clears throat> so, cut a long story short, there's a scene where the son who wanted to fly is in a Lancaster and he's the pilot of a Lancaster. And, they, and so the whole scene is set 
uh, on stage, you could see the whole Lancaster. You could see what everybody was doing on the Lancaster positions. But they were all sat on tables and chairs because the scene before was the um, <clears throat> was the briefing room. They were all sitting on chairs and tables. And then the music started up and they sort of slow-mo built the bomber on stage. Mm-hmm. We had sort of lights just kind of cycling a bit as if there was movement. Right. And it was brilliant. I have to say, it was brilliant. And when the Germans come on stage to shoot down the aeroplane and fatally wound the pilot, mm-hmm. they, they came up, they came dancing on and they walked up to him and they sort of drew a cross on his chest and then walked back and then another one walked forward and grabbed red streamers and pulled them out of his flying suit. <laughs> and he went back and sort of, you know, shook hands and went off stage. And then suddenly the aeroplane was in free fall uh-huh. and um, uh, the crew burst into... Um, coming in on a wing and a prayer. So they started to sing, coming in on a wing and a prayer. <laughs> well, there's a field over there. And, <laughs> and it, it was just a brilliant scene. And I can absolutely promise you, when we did it live uh, 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 during the festival, um, mm-hmm. floods of tears. People were in tears because yeah. because of what we were now invested in these two characters. Yeah, yeah. And three days before the tech rehearsal, director came to me, when are you going to build the, the Lancaster? I said, what do you mean build the Lancaster? There's got to be a Lancaster on stage. How are you going to do it? I said, I don't know what you're talking about. Said, You've got to have at least a tailplane in so we know it's a Lancaster. I said, They'll know it's a Lancaster. Mm-hmm. Said, How will they know it's a Lancaster? I said, because they just will. But he'd been salting some of the actors and said, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to work. And oh. one of them came up to me, who is now actually a professional, came up to me and said, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do this scene because it's not going to work. And I said, it's going to work. He said, it's not going to work. So oh. I, had, I had to sit him down and really talk to him. I said, give it a, give it a go. Mm-hmm. And to his credit, after we did the first show, he came up to me and said, oh, my God, that worked. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and, good. Yeah, of course it worked. Showed him. Showed everybody. <laughs> um, but I just, I, that's what I love about theatre. It it's, it's all in the head. It's mm-hmm. all in the mind. Mm-hmm. And some of my favourite shows have had no scenery. No costumes. Oh, and then clothes. Um, <laughs> no costumes. It's all in the head. Yeah. Uh, that's why I love theatre and radio. Yeah, I mean, it's probably why I like podcasts. Yes, exactly. I remember going to theatre workshop. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what we did, but I remember going there. Did that come before or after you and Mum had your? Oh, that came before. So, did you start your video production company? Once we were born, because uh, I thought no, that came before. before. It came before. It was nine. You were born in ninety one. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we started the company in eighteen nine. Okay, so how come we were at theatre workshop? Were we just visiting? Probably, yeah, because they oh. they ran courses and stuff. All right, okay, so yeah. it obviously continued after you weren't there. Yeah, it's it's it it did eventually give up, which is a shame because it was it was brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I, I loved theatre workshop because it was so egalitarian. We were all on the same wage, including the director. That's cool. Very cool. Yeah, that's nice. Um, I was literally about to ask, did you get paid? Because yes. that's also a common thing. Two thousand a year. Oh, what? What would that be now? 2000, I think. <laughs> <laughs> no, be well. No, it's definitely. Uh, mm, uh, what year was this? Uh, this would be 19. Uh, oh God, 19. 
1980. 1980. Mm -hmm. uh, count, uh, pound. Oh, no, wait. Value of the British pound in the UK. Sorry, I'm just, I, I like these sorts of things. So £100 in 1980 is the equivalent now of £548. Wow, so it's 500%. Uh, so uh, if you were on 2000 a year... 10000 Is that right? Mm. Oh, look, you can put it in right here. 2000 Calculate. Yeah, £10,972. There you go. There you go. There you go. Well, at least you got paid because yes. you often don't get paid anything. I'm, I'm. You're prolific for I've, not getting I've paid. I listened to your podcast, Shadow Love. Yeah. And um, one sort of recurring theme is the difficulty of charging for things. Yeah, it, it is. It is a nightmare. Yeah, I hate it. I loathe it. Yeah. I'd rather do things for free, and I mostly do. See, I wouldn't, mm -hmm. <laughs> but purely because I don't know, life is so expensive. Yeah, yeah it's different. You days. can't do it. You no. can, you can't work for free. No. Um, but yeah, obviously I have, and mm -hmm. uh, you do things for people and stuff. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I know what you mean. It's really I hate it. I hate trying to price services because I'm like, yeah. God, it's just numbers made like not made up, but you know what I mean. It's like. Yeah. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you the technique that I never really used, but I believed was the right technique. And uh -huh. now this, we will put this out to the world of the freelancer. This is how to do it. It's called the pipsqueak method. Okay. Let me give pricing a video production as an example. Um, somebody might say, I want to do a promo on something, corporate, a corporate thing. How much? For 10 minutes. And they'll say, oh, that'll be £25,000. And I go, £25,000? And they said, well, that's if you want the helicopter. Um, <laughs> uh, the aerial shots, you know. And they said, well, I don't want the aerial shots. Okay, well, that'll be £15,000. They said, £15,000? Well, that's if you want the name presenter. <laughs> okay, so you just keep working down, throwing stuff out until you get to the price that they're happy with. So that, right. the pip has squeaked, if you like. Okay. Um, and the opposite works as well. So if they go, if you go, well, it'll be £5,000. And they go, five, oh, five, yeah, fine. They say, well, that's if you're not going to have That doesn't presenter. include this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, well, need a presenter. Well, that'll be £15,000. Yeah. I mean, I guess the equivalent to that now is w w something that I do is I have like three different levels of packages yes, yes. so you you have like your no, of your basic standard oh, right. and then like that's what I've been doing wrong goals or whatever you want to call it <laughs> and uh, and then you offer the different range mm -hmm. and people tend to go for you, you you make the the more expensive one. Obviously, it's the most appealing. But um, people normally go for the middle range, yes. and that's the one that you probably want them to go for. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, and but I mean, the number of times I've put a bid in for something, yeah, under cooked it, yeah, saw that the job went to somebody else for like twice the price, saw the product that they produced, and I would have blown them out of the water. Yeah, it was rubbish. That's common too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if people, if somebody can sell themselves, yeah. then you're kind of halfway there. You're going to get the jobs. Yeah. Um, even if you're not that great. If you, you can sell just, yourself, it's... You've just got to look them in the eye. Yeah. You know, you just think... look them in the eye and say, yeah, it'll be 25,000 quid. <laughs> yeah. Don't have the courage yeah, to do stuff like that. Because <laughs> apart from anything else, we, we all suffer from imposter syndrome anyway. Yes. We all think we're rubbish. 
Yeah, and absolutely. It, what annoys me is I occasionally come across something I produced some like 10 years ago. And I say, God, I wrote that or I made that. Jesus, that's not bad. Yeah, that's like, quite good. It's like with Ignatz. Yeah. When, when I heard them live. Yeah, again. What a yeah. good band. I didn't think so at the time. Well, I did, <laughs> but I didn't I didn't realise how good. Because um, it always, it's always be better. Always be better. Well, yeah, but I think that's a good thing to, to have. It is, but it's frustrating. But I mean, as someone once said, you never finish a project, you abandon it. Yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah. So uh, when did you get your job teaching? Well, as I say, it was I just uh, guys saw that I'd written the video production thing. Yeah. And yeah. So he said, you know, come and do that. So I read a book the day before I went to class and never really changed thereafter. Um, so you, and um, was this at Julianesque? Mm-hmm. So you didn't teach anywhere else? No. Yeah, you. I mean, I know you said you are there for 25, 25 years, but uh, so you managed to become a teacher without any teaching qualification. Was that something that was like regulated back then? Or you could kind of get away with these things? Well, obviously. Because you obviously couldn't yeah. now. You no. Know. No. <laughs> um, and I eventually had to get uh, my TQFA, TQFE, mm-hmm. Teacher's Qualification for Further Education, which I loved. I really enjoyed that. Went to Sterling Uni to get that. It's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, 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 it's, um, yeah, I was busking. And it's just so stupid. For example, I was walking down the corridor and my boss, I was walking the other way and he caught my eye, which was worrying. And he said, do you know anything about media studies? And I went, yes. (laughs) And he said, do you know anything about representations? And I went, "Uh (laughs) uh-huh. And he said, good, because you've got a class in half an hour. And what was absolutely brilliant about the class was we had the government inspector, HMI, coming to check out our classes. And they sit in the class and watch you and... Make sure you're doing the right and, thing. Um, I had prepared a lighting class for my video students, and I had got it all prepared, and I'd actually done a whole lot of work, which I never do. <laughs> um, and I had handouts and made it look incredibly professional. It was a complete bluff, but it was there it was. And I knew exactly what I was doing. And he didn't turn up. And I thought, oh, bastards, brilliant. I've got away with it again. Yeah. <laughs> and so, uh, so he said, you've got a class in half an hour. So I went down went down to the class, walked in, and there was HMI. Oh, no. I had nothing. I had less than nothing. I would have walked out. No. I could not have done that. I just smiled and went, this is a challenge. Oh, my God. So I invented the whole thing. Instant anxiety attack. Not at all. (laughs) This is a good challenge. So I did the hours lecture, made it all up, word for word. You have been teaching children, Dad. Children, okay, adults. They're, well, they're young adults. 18, 19, 20, if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but you should be te- te- teaching them lies. I wasn't teaching them lies. I invented the perfectly sound uh, critique of representations. Okay. So much so that the HMI came up to you after and said, I really enjoyed that lesson. I learned a lot. <laughs> wow. So bluffing is very important. Learning to improvise is really important. Yes. And uh, and, and I love improvising. I mm-hmm. think it's great fun. Oh, well, I'm glad you've seen it as a challenge. Yeah. And uh, and obviously, you were, like you said, you were there 25 years, so you're obviously doing something right. 
Not necessarily. Um, uh, you can, there's some fairly bad lecturers around. Um, but I entertained them. I mean, the main thing was my classes were always entertaining. Um, I, I, I would pass on knowledge, but primarily I wanted them to do all the work. I mean, I, I don't mean that in a cynical sense. I mean, I wanted them to engage themselves. Yeah, yeah. So I wasn't going to make it easy for them. I wasn't going to give them all the news and handouts. Mm-hmm. They had to do some work. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did primarily was tell them stories. Um, about all sorts of things. And the weird thing is, every now and again, I come across a student. In fact, last year when I was playing with my band at the Dunbar Festival, mm-hmm. uh, a couple of students came and said, oh, it's Gerard. And they said, yeah, hi. And, and um, they said, they said uh, loved your classes. And I said, why? Oh, the stupid stories you told us. And I said, okay, <laughs> like more. And they said, oh, and they started to tell me all the stupid things that I'd told them. So they'd remembered after... Since 2012, since I left, and in fact, they were there about 2010. So they remembered the stupid stories. Well, you taught a couple of my friends as well. Oh, that's true, I did. You taught mm-hmm. Becca and mm-hmm. Laurie? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. they did media. Because it was at Gillianess, which is Edinburgh College now, mm-hmm. but it was one of the campuses. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you taught that because you did, it was a two, it was a two year course, but you just, mm. you taught one year, one of the years. Is that right? Because I know that everybody wanted you to be their teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would, God, I have like memories of um, being with you and bumping into students that you had. And, oh, your dad's great. And all this stuff. <laughs> I'll tell you why I was great. A, because I told stories. Yeah. And B, because I would just did not fail anybody unless they were really, <laughs> really bad. Uh-huh. I'd always find a reason to pass them. And uh, I got away with that. Got away with a lot. I got away with a hell of a lot. <laughs> you really did. I really did because... I don't think I quite realised until you we've done no this podcast. no idea. Because we get checked out by HMI or whatever regularly. Okay. Everybody go into a spin for weeks ahead of the time. And I just not bother my ass because I, A, I knew they knew nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, and B, I just knew I could busk it. And every time I did. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I have a couple of friends that are in... Um, teaching or in, mm-hmm. uh, nursery teaching and stuff like that and they obviously have these people come around every now and again mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. it's just a funny take because it's always terrifying it's the same it's the same in hospitality when you have mm-hmm. the health and safety inspections it's like panic stations mm-hmm. um that oh yeah mm-hmm. absolutely but um i remember because we got Oh, no, I'm not even going to go into. I'm not going to go into the beach house stories. No, just to do with the ovens and stuff. But yeah, it's boring. Um, and the rats. And the rats. God, don't say that. There's no rats, as far as I'm aware. Well, that's what they say. God, that's funny. Yeah. So, what was your um, favourite part of teaching? Just the performances, the kids. The kids. I love the kids. Yeah. And um, and they're always, I'm still friends with some of them now because they're, they're just interesting. So I like the performance. I like the kids. I, I like having coffee with the staff. They're a good laugh. Yeah. Um, the holidays. Yeah. Good holidays. Decent, yeah. That's, to me, the most appealing thing about a teacher. Yeah, and I lost one summer holidays doing the audio guide for Rosalind Chapel. <laughs> That was an error. <laughs> what, like a whole six weeks? Yeah. 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 <laughs> such an error. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just too much work. 
No, it's a classic. I mean, anybody who's a freelancer will recognize the story,、mm-hmm. which is basically clients.、Mm. We all know how much we love our clients,、mm-hmm. don't we?、Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> how good our industry would be if there weren't any clients. Like, the clients, yeah. yeah. Just be great. Yeah. Yep. So the client in this instance, Rosalind Chapel.、Um, Uh, I've got so many stories about Rosalind Chapel, which I love, by the way. I absolutely love Rosalind Chapel. I love I, it too. I've got stories. I have <laughs> got stories.、Uh, but in this particular instance,、uh, I was commissioned to do、uh, the audio guide.、Mm-hmm. And I was doing it with 2020 Productions.、Mm-hmm. So it's going to be quite an operation. So I spent all the bloody summer working on this thing.、Uh, so I went, I went the script quite close、yeah, with it. I、yeah. did it over to Stuart, who was the secretary. And he came back a few days later and he said, Oh, her ladyship doesn't like it. I said, What's wrong with it? She said, He said, It's too entertaining. <laughs> said, what? They want it to be more. Less entertaining. Doom and gloom. Yeah, well, I don't know what they wanted because I, mean, I was completely lost. I mean, the whole thing was entertaining, but、right. it was also factual. Yeah.、Um, Which is surely the best type. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, to cut a long story short, I tried to adjust it. I tried to make it 10% less interesting. That didn't work.、Um, so, she said,、oh, I'll do it myself. Well, she could have done it herself in the first instance. She's an art historian. She、mm. could easily have done it herself.、Mm-hmm. So, I spent the whole bloody summer doing that. She said, But you can do the, the kids' version because I was good writing a kids' version as well. And I had a、okay. cracking concept for the kids' version. So I did the kids' version, which I was even happier than the, the adult version. Handed it over, came back,、mm, it's too entertaining. Could you just do a cut down version of the one I'm doing? Oh, for God's sake. So I had to do a cut down version of her one, and it was just sort of Jesus. Well, yeah, I mean, as. We said in、um, Kirsty's podcast, which was brilliant, by the way, <laughs>、um, the customer is never right. Never. The fact that they think that it's too entertaining that's a bizarre It's a bizarre concept. A bizarre concept.、Yes. Yeah.、Uh-huh. And in fact, your mother, by the way,、um, yes. Had,、um, she, I, I must pass this on because I think this is useful for freelancers, but your mother. Did one thing absolutely perfectly, which I wouldn't have done because I'm useless、uh, in certain areas. We were filming this thing、um, for, I can't even remember, some bank or something, I don't know, but it was, a, it, was a, no, it was an insurance company. It was a thing on stage, anyway, it was shit. But <laughs>、um, the guy came up to us and said, Could you do this? Asked us to do something. So I said, Well, that's a bit, that's going to muck us up a bit. Um, and you do realize that this could, might not work.、Mm-hmm. And he said, Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine, just do it. So Helen promptly wrote to him and said, Could you just write down on a piece of paper what it is you want and sign it?、Mm-hmm. So he did.、Um, so、it's called a contract, Dad. Called, no, we, the contract was something different. <laughs> and this was an addendum to the contract. Okay. Okay.、Uh, so it, she was just confirming what he wanted. Yeah. Which I wouldn't have done. I'd have just gone on and done it. Right. So we did it. The company that he was working for hated it, absolutely hated it,、oh. and they refused to pay us. Oh, God. And so we produced the letter. He'd hidden the letter from, the, from his boss. Ah, sneaky sneak. Sneaky sneaky, sneaky sneak. So、um, <laughs> thanks to Helen,、mm-hmm. we got paid in full. So that's a lesson learned. Always, if somebody wants to make a change, get it on. Yeah. Paper. Yeah. And signed. Absolutely.、Um, 
É... Main blank. Beep, boop, beep. I can hear a ticking noise. It's the sound of a ticking bomb. No. Yeah, so you actually uh, made something spring to mind. Uh, I remember being a child and being in a bank advert. I was just thinking that. <laughs> yeah. Yes, you were. Yeah. So, so you got us involved in a couple of... Was that jobs that you had? Like, explain to me how that worked. Because why were we involved? <laughs> because we needed a family. Right, okay. Because I remember the bank and then there was I'm a... Not paying <laughs> and, there, and there was a pound stretcher ad. Yeah. I remember doing that yeah, as well. Yeah, oh gosh, with the, cost, uh, with the, with the t-shirts. With the t-shirts yeah, and the clothes yeah, yeah, and yeah. stuff, yeah. yeah. Like, how did we get in... Just because you needed kids or something mm. and you thought, yeah. we'll was, bring them in and we don't need to pay yeah. them. I remember walking up and down Portville High Street for the bank one. It was cold. I don't remember them being cold. It was freezing. Was it? But I just remember going up and down and we had the buggy. Mm-hmm. And I think we got Greg's afterwards, mm-hmm. so I was quite happy about that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then, but the pound land or pound stretcher, wherever mm-hmm. it was, I remember I had a like a transfer tattoo on my arm, oh, and they cool. had to put makeup on it because because oh, obviously mm-hmm. it wasn't yeah, yeah. supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. And and then I remember two things about it. I remember like one being like completely and utterly mortified that it was for a pound stretcher or pound land. Because I was probably about like nine. Yeah. Nine or something. Yeah. I was like like mortified because um, I'd just get ripped at school if anybody found out. Uh, but then we did get to keep the clothes. That's right. And I remember that was the bonus. Yeah. That's the one good thing about being in... Being in these like shoots and stuff. Yeah. yeah, you always get to take something back with you. Yeah. Except when you're an outlander. You don't get to take anything. Oh my God, yeah, you were an outlander. I, I forgot. Yeah, right. But this was my when... award-winning role. <laughs> <laughs> your wipe of the nose and yeah. your your cough was great. Yeah. Because the thing is, you retired mm-hmm. from teaching, yes. but then you've never really retired Far from it. Far from it. Harder than ever. Yes, I feel like I would probably be the same. Mm -hmm. You did a stint of acting again. Mm -hmm. And yeah, explain the process of Outlander. You were an extra Mm -hmm. in season one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what's a day like on sex? I know it's hard. It's very hard. Yeah. It was brilliant. I have to say in all the things I've ever been in, the Outlander team were the most professional, Mm -hmm. the most caring they really looked after me because i actually and on, on, on the second shoot i had uh, gout <laughs> and uh, they really looked after me and I'm, yeah. I'm, i was one of 150 extras and right yeah there's, so, there's a you know, huge production huge. yeah it was brilliant um everything about it was brilliant the food was brilliant uh it was, it was brilliant mm-hmm. um the um I made a bit of a mistake. I can't remember how I managed to take a photograph on set because we all had our phones taken off us, as I remember. Yeah, because you sent us pictures. Yeah, I took a photograph on set and got caught by the first AD. So I was dispatched. What, so you were let go of that as well? No, I was just dispatched to go to, to leave the scene. Oh, right. And they punished me by not putting me in the next scene. And then they allowed me in the scene after <laughs> You've always been a rebel. Oh, I've been such a, a rebel. A rebel at nature, a such quiet a rebel. rebel. You're like an introverted rebel. I think I'm a chaos engine. Is what <laughs> I am. Um, That's funny. But yeah, it was wonderful. And, and stupid little details, like it was a boiling hot day and um, suddenly the, the, the director just said, whispered in the first AD's ear, who whispered in the PA's ear, and next minute 
three um, ice cream vans turned up. Oh, wow. Just for everybody. Just for everybody. Just that's like, cool. And we didn't have to pay or anything. Just got, we all oh. got free ice creams. And I thought, that's looking after your people. And we're just extras. Yeah. You know? just... No, I mean, because it's long days. And you're obviously not in every scene and you've got to wait around for yours. And yeah, so, I mean, that's nice to hear that they're, like, taking care of you. Because, mm -hmm. I mean, I've heard, like, the opposite from uh, other sets. Yeah, the film, f filmmaking is incredibly hard work. Yeah. But I think the, the thing to point out, though, two things I want to point out, because we're back on freelancing again, which is, I think, what this is all about. Yes. That to become, to, to join into the film industry, if that's what you want to do, I would actually advise you not to go to college. And, and I always advise my students when on day leave. one, I say, guys, if you've got any sense at all, go now. <laughs> and they, what do you mean? And I said, well, just go and make the bacon rolls and make the tea on set and get paid nothing for a year. Yeah. That's the way into the industry. It's like getting becoming a runner. Be a runner. Be a runner. Be a runner. Yeah. Uh, and I know plenty of runners who've gone on to have big careers. Yeah, but you, you have to. The trouble is, it, it does tend to favour the independently wealthy, or at least people. Sure. Who can, well, know. not yeah, not everybody can no. just work for nothing for no. a year or whatever. But, that's but the way to do it. yeah, but well, no, that's good advice though, because if that's something that you maybe want to do, then you could be like, right, uh, next year, this is what I'm going to do. So mm. I'll save up mm. to do it this mm. year. It's like with Kitty and her apprenticeship mm -hmm. you know yeah you make yeah, yeah exactly you make it work absolutely if, if it's what you really want to do yeah. but it's obviously not as black and white but the most important thing and this must be the the, the theme of i think of our discussion today mm -hmm. is you have to be willing mm -hmm. the word to consider is willing so that when people want something done you're willing to do it yeah and if people say does anybody know anything about anything you're willing to say yes. Uh, can anybody, you know, someone's just passed out on the set. Can you revive them? Yeah. No, we're not. I don't advise that. I don't advise that. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, anything to do with a, with a job, you know, be the one that runs to the front of the queue. And, and you'll yeah. get picked up very quickly. People really like people who are engaged. Mm. Um, but, yeah, that's the thing. Be willing. Yeah. And, um, and and to some extent, I mean, I know it sounds a bit silly, but it's the puppy-eyed one at the front, you know, who definitely looks like they want to work. Definitely want to work. Give me a job. Uh, you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's the way to do it. Do you remember Stuart? Makara? Yeah. Yeah. Dear Stuart. I know. I miss him so much. Yeah. Um, For Stuart's um, my godfather um, and your... Pal. Pal. Yeah. Yeah. We worked at uh, Innovision together. Um he was wonderful. He's a classic example of willing and chancing his arm. And he was a naughty, naughty boy in so many ways. I mean, I cannot count the ways he was naughty. But if you wanted something, you know, I want a Boeing 747, full-sized. You'll go, what colour? You'll go and get it somehow. I know very little about his career, but what I do know is pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. But uh, please tell me, he, like planned on doing that and no. no did he just he did he just I'll walked into this is like annoying because <laughs> it just would never ever happen now ever you couldn't just walk into something and say that you could do it and get a job well maybe 
<laughs> Let me explain how it happened. He went to uni, he went to Bournemouth uh, quite late on. He'd already been in the industry for quite a while. Then he went to Bournemouth. This uh, is the movie industry. Yeah. Just to well, clarify. Corporate, really. All oh, right, okay. Yeah. And he went down there and he said it was absolutely classic. They'd get a job to do, you know, they'd get a project. And he'd start editing, they'd film all day, and he'd start editing straight away. And the guy said, Hey, come into the pub. No, we've got to finish the movie. Do it tomorrow. No, I'm going to do it tonight. And he'd work till five o'clock in the morning and get the job done. So the next day, lecture is done. That was him all the time. So what happened was we were doing this the thing, what I wrote for Innovision, and it was a big multi thingy corporate for. Goddish in Newcastle and um, we needed some heads up display type graphics on a screen we needed to look a bit science fictiony and he had an Atari which was an old computer back in the day mm-hmm. and he had an Atari and Jamie Swinton said to him could you make reticules and things so yeah so he sort of bumbled away and got together these reticules they look fine look- what are reticules just the, you know, the camera when you have a little cross or a little oh, yeah. box, those are called reticles. Oh, right, okay. Sorry, uh, just, So, um, so he, he made some quite nice little things with the dials and meters and Christ knows what. He then went down to London and went for an interview job with the computer film company. And they said, can you do special effects? And he went, yes. Oh, my God. And they said, righto, you could join the company. Oh. So on the basis of that one thing, which he bodged up, yeah. he got the job. And he said the only time in his life, the only time in his life he came close to actually cracking up was he got to the first Christmas. And he'd been bluffing his way through all this sort of, I mean, this is a high-end company. This mm-hmm. is a super high-end company. And they'd got some proprietary equipment that nobody else had that they'd built. Um, and he was, you know, having to do all this stuff and learning as he went. And suddenly at Christmas, they all went, right, okay, Stuart, you're doing fine. We're all off for Christmas. So could you get these scenes done and have them ready by January? Pay you a bit extra. Mm-hmm. And he said it was absolutely terrifying because he hadn't a clue what he was doing. Oh, my God. And there's no YouTube. There's no YouTube. To look up what you're doing. Was there Google? No Google. We didn't even have the interweb. All oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So um, you. Yeah. So books. Had to read a bunch of books. Had to read a bunch of books and panic. And oh my god. He said it's the closest he'd ever come to a, a breakdown. But again, his attitude was just wonderful. As I say, he'll do anything. And I remember when he was, we went to visit him in Los Angeles. I remember that. Yeah. And I remember very. Bursts. Small. The, I mean, snippets. the. I remember watching Ren and Stimpy. <laughs> So we did, yeah. <laughs> and then we, I remember slight bits of Disneyland. Mm-hmm. I remember crying at Beauty and the Beast. No, remember the ducks. No, no, it wasn't. It was Sleeping Beauty. Sleeping Beauty. I was because mm-hmm. I thought she was going to be dead. Mm-hmm. I remember being upset about that. And then yeah, we ended up going and playing with ducks instead of mm-hmm. doing anything. Right? You were, you were really interested in the ducks. Mm. That's the place. Take it, leave it. You're under the ducks, <laughs> and then somebody stole the buggies. Oh God! <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So yeah, anyway. we were in Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah. It was in Los Angeles. And while we were there, he got a phone call. They were in the middle of rendering some scenes for mm-hmm. a film that was going to be scheduled to show in. We were there in April, so this was going to be scheduled to show in sort of something like May. So it was a big movie. Do you remember what movie? I don't. 
don't. Mm. But it was a big movie that we will all know the name of. Right. They were just doing the rendering for the last few scenes. Now, rendering back in those days was really slow. A lengthy task. It was a lengthy task. You'd have a room full of Ataris um, (laughs) or equivalent, literally 30, 40 of them, all doing the rendering at sort of 2K a shot. So it took, I think it took something like one day for three minutes render. So a film would take a month? Well, easy, yeah. Yeah. So they'd been doing the the, the special effects for ever, because it's quite a... What happened was they'd forgotten to render a scene. For some reason or other, they'd forgotten to render the scene. Oh, no. And the print was to be delivered, like, in three days' time. So the producer rang up and she said, there's a, there's a scene missing. And Stuart said, oh. <laughs> and he's in charge of this. He was the senior Oh, guy. God. And he said, um, okay, right, well, well, we'll get on it. And she said, yeah, but that's fine. I've got to have it in three days. And he said, it won't render in three days. No. Um, he said, it'd take about a week to render. And she absolutely blew a top. She went mental. And he sort of phoned away from the head sort of thing. Oh, no. And he said, look, nobody's died, okay? We'll get this sorted. And that was it. That's all he did. Put the phone down. And did he get it sorted? Yeah. In three days? No. <laughs> In his own time? In his own time. But he got it done. I mean, Stuart... The only, yeah, the only two things I remember him being a part of were he did the Harry Potter envelope in yeah, in uh, so. the third film mm-hmm. the like speaking envelope mm-hmm. I remember you telling me he did that mm-hmm. and Tomb Raider's boobs he did Tomb Raider's boobs he was, he was in <laughs> or Lara of, Croft's Lara Croft's uh, boobs he was in charge of the nipples for <laughs> oh, it was three four five months I think <laughs> and he said he got so fed up with it I bet believe. that would be a really really tough one boring job <laughs> well yeah job. it's like yeah, funny though. Poor Stuart. He's, he's a great guy. And I know. He, we missed him. He was just so thoughtful and kind and crazy. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I loved him to bits. <laughs> well, we're going to sum things up a little bit. Okay. But we've kind of, we've jumped through timelines, but we've made it to the present day. We worked for your retirement uh, acting roles But we're going to touch briefly upon um, your current project, which I am also involved in. Yes, Um, Yeah, but you were my first client becoming freelance. It's not called nepotism. (laughs) Um, Thank God you did have something for me, (laughs) or I would have been screwed. Yeah, so you have been working with the APSS, who are the Aviation Preservation Society of Scotland. And uh, you've been working with them for... 12? Since 2012. Since 2012. Um, yeah. And um, so you've been working with them for a long time, documenting and fundraising for Sophie the Strutter, which is a plane that has, I mean, you'll be able to explain it better than me, but um, uh, she's very special plane. Very special. You can take it from there. I'll take it from there. <laughs> right. And the reason why I'm doing this, which I'm about to tell you about, I think are germane to the independent person, the freelancer. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Cutting a very, very long story short, basically a bunch of salty old 
pensioners in East Lothian were asked in 2000 whether they could build a flying World War I biplane. And they were all stupid, just like I am and <laughs> you are. And they were willing. And they said, sure. <laughs> They'd never made an aeroplane before and they didn't have any money. But that didn't stop them from saying, yeah. Mm -hmm. This was the Air Museum, you know, East Fortune. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, so they started to build it. The, the director at the time managed to get them 5,000 quid to get started and was planning to give them 5,000 quid every year after. But he left. New administration came in and cut off the money. Mm -hmm. So they started life with 5,000 quid, the plans, full stop. That was it, yeah. And they just thought, oh, we've started, so we'll finish. So they have now built an absolute world-class new build of a Sopwith one and a half strutter that we call Sophie. Now, what drew me to the project is I took students up to see if there's any stories to tell mm -hmm. at the Air Museum. I wanted them to get into the, you know, do a documentary about the cook if there was one. You know, just <laughs> pick somebody that's not obvious and make a documentary. Mm -hmm. And we stumbled across this shed with this skeleton, this amazing skeleton of this aeroplane in it, and these bald old guys. <laughs> um, and what the hell is this? And I just, and as, as I sort of asked a few questions, it occurred to me, this is amazing. This is a tribute. If nothing else, this is a tribute to volunteerism, which I am now extremely keen to promote, uh -huh. um, and altruism. You know, they weren't doing this for fun and profit, uh, you know, for, for, for uh, to make money. Yeah. They were doing it because they loved to work. Yeah. They wanted to keep going. They were all retired. <clears throat> uh -huh. And it gave them something absolutely to focus on. Yeah. And it was just brilliant. And I thought, well, I'm going to film this. So I started to film this because I thought it would take another three years to build. This was in 2012. <laughs> so, yeah, it's about three years' work. So, here we are in 2023, <laughs> and she's just about to fly. Uh, that phone call I just had was just to confirm that we're going up to uh, Kirk Newton, where she's sitting um, with the BBC radio people who are mm -hmm. going to interview us and hopefully hear the engine run. Um, and we're going to do the last tests before she actually takes to the air. And and currently, she's the only working, flying Sopwith one and a half strutter in, in the, the world. world. Yeah. Yeah. Which is pretty incredible. Which is incredible. Um, but also, she's the only full-sized flying World War One aircraft in Scotland. Mm -hmm. There are no others. There's a three-quarter size SE-5A um, um, but there's no others. So she's unique. Yeah. And she's came, unique. And it was unique. And, <laughs> and she was created by a whole bunch of pensioners in East Lothian. The, the reason I just want to bring up volunteerism is this. If it wasn't for volunteers, if you took away, if all the volunteers today just stopped volunteering, mm -hmm. you'd have no theatre, you'd have no charity shops, you'd have no film industry, you'd have no TV industry, you'd have virtually nothing. Mm -hmm. Volunteers make the world go around. Mm -hmm. And we kind of forget that. We've got this obsession with professionalism and all the rest of it. Amateurs, back in the day, I mean, all our science, all our science practically, all the basic work that was done in science, practically all of it was done by amateurs. Nobody made a living 
from being a scientist back in the day. Mm-hmm. They, they, they were usually quite well-to-do anyway, and they were just interested in doing experiments. And mm-hmm. they'd do all this incredible work, basically as an amateur. So amateurs, volunteers, make the world go around. Well, that's a very good point. Mm-hmm. Maybe good point to end on. I guess so. <laughs> that and uh, if you want to be a freelancer, run to the hills. <laughs> well, I was going to say the I I've been helping you for a year and a half now. And doing amazing. Uh, doing the social media for Sophie the Strutter, so mm-hmm. I'm going to put a link mm-hmm. to to her socials and the website. Um, in the bio so you can check her out um it's it's we're constantly looking for um donations Mm and uh keep keep the project going so if anybody would like to donate that would also be incredible but um no pressure or indeed volunteer or endear or or endear or endear or endear volunteered yeah (laughs) (laughs) or if you like the sound of it and you want mm. to become Mm -hmm. an APSS member you can Uh, you sign up don't you what do you get (laughs) <laughs> you get a warm fuzzy feeling <laughs> yeah it's a, it's an incredible project and i'm really I love being involved in it and getting to work with you every week well i'll tell you this and i don't want you to listen to this because this is going to embarrass you <laughs> oh god um but i just want to say that when uh, we brought lucy on board i was expecting by this stage in time to have probably 200 followers and maybe three four hundred um visits to our sites and at the moment we have three thousand followers and we've had over a million hits mm-hmm. on some of our videos yeah yeah and that's all down to lucy <laughs> don't tell her <laughs> well i seen the potential of the story and i think i knew that there would be an audience because people love aviation i mean it's personally not something that I know a lot about or or I'm learning now but it's not in any shape or form a um, hobby of mine or an interest but it's been so fun uh, getting to work with the people that are interested and of and and also build a community online that are very passionate about it and are very excited to see Sophie fly it's going to be a incredible day which hopefully people will be able to come and see Mm. happen so Mm. So yeah, it's um, an incredible project and and thank you for letting me be involved. Well, thank you very much for being involved. <laughs> and I'll just say that the only reason I'm involved is once again because of my weird skill set. Yeah, yeah. Um, I know, you're doing an amazing job. Well, I don't know about that. But... No, you are. You've put an insane amount of hours into it and you don't get paid. And, you know, you're a volunteer. We think it's going one way and then it can go another. And, and the fact that you're, like, still in there and still feel as passionate as you are since, like, the day started, it's very great. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Well, right. we're going to be done. This was a little bit of a different one. We didn't have any of our wee segments, but uh, it was lots of fun talking to you. Well, it was good fun talking to you, too. Yeah. And uh, who knows, you'll maybe be on again for a, for a more... Mm structured one (laughs) we do but anyway uh, thanks so much for listening uh and goodbye and spread the word spread the word about the about the podcast because it's really good (laughs) thanks dad (laughs) you kind of have to say that right goodbye
Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Don't Panic podcast. If you enjoyed it, please don't forget to hit that like and subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Also be sure to check out the description for quick links to connect with our amazing guests, show them some love, give them a follow and explore their work. Once again, thank you so much. Your support means the world. And until next week, don't panic. We'll see you again.